Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash The Barn. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash The Barn. Hi, this is Greg Deal, the bad Indian behind Dead Pioneers, and you're listening to Vulgar Display of Podcast. Not a very good Indian, maybe even a bad Indian. My cheekbones aren't high enough. I don't have enough beadwork or turquoise. I do my best to celebrate November like a month-long birthday for Indians. For those of you who don't know, which is probably most of you, it's a National Native American Heritage Month, and unfortunately celebrating feels like I'm celebrating my birthday by myself. No one seems to know that it's even happening, even with all the Facebook notices. I'm a bad Indian. Hi, and welcome to the Vulgar Display of Podcast. You got the mocks here live from the barn studio, and we have a special guest with us online. We have Mr. Greg Deal from the Dead Pioneers. Greg, how are you, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing really well. We were talking off air. Uh, You keep pretty busy with all those kids and the family and all that, right? I mean, it's life. You know, what are you going to do? And you are a man of many titles, artist, activist. Uh, this one I like a lot, Disruptor, and now I guess a punk rocker. You're going to add that to your to your resume as well. We got a new album out that just came out this past September, uh, The Dead Pioneers. We fell in love with it. it, came across our radar, you know, not all that long ago, and uh, I can't quit spinning it, man. I'm in love with this record. I love to hear that. I, I really appreciate that. It's been overwhelming and, and uh, humbling, and, you know, you, you never know what you're going to get when you put stuff out there, so I'm 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 pretty stoked on how it's gone. What inspired this record? What inspired you to start the band? And, um, you know, tell us a little bit about the record, the recording process and some of the songs. Yeah. You know, I, I keep saying that I accidentally put a band together. I, I'm a visual artist. Um, that's been, you know, the whole of my career, but I've always been, you know, a little punk rocker since I was a kid. And um, I grew up in Utah and it's just sort of a unique place to grow up with a unique music scene in the um, late eighties and into the, into the early nineties. Um, but I, I recently, well, I lost my father uh, several years ago and, and was just sort of entering into my forties and, you know, obviously like the boomer generation can actually have midlife crises where they can buy convertibles and get their rush in other places. And I just don't have the capital to, to do that. Like not in this economy. 
So my midlife crisis is like an existential crisis. And so I find myself revisiting things from my childhood and old traumas, and old, you know, all of those things. And my wife had the wherewithal to really encourage me to do some things that I hadn't done in a long time, uh, like collecting records. And my father kicked me out when I was like 17 years old. And so I had to abandon everything and just really only take the clothes on my back. And so it's just sort of had this strange lack of permanence in my life and like never collected anything and was always realizing that like I'd have to move again or I'd have to do this because between 17 and I think 24 when I got married, I think I'd moved like no less than like 26 times. So I was just like, nothing was permanent. And I carried that into my forties and had this moment where my birthday was coming up and my wife asked me, um, you know, what, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, nothing. Cause like, I'm a grown ass man. I don't need presents. You know, it's all good. And, and she's like, well, you said something about a turntable. And I just, I just had this spiral where I was like, yeah, but if I buy a turntable, then I'm going to buy records. And if I buy records and you know, like, how am I going to move those records? And what if I don't have enough money to buy records? And I just have like two records. And she's like, she's like, dude, just chill out and buy the record. And just kind of <laughs> gave me permission to, to engage this thing. And I've never stopped listening to that music ever, but to engage it in that way, to buy the vinyl, to take it out of the sleeve, to place it onto the turntable, to hear the needle make that popping noise when it touches the vinyl, and to listen to it and, and go through this whole analog process when the record stops, to go have to go back over to the turntable and flip it and start it all over again. And, and it was just something that opened up in me and, and recognizing that that there's something really special there. And so even though I've never stopped listening to this, I ended up kind of doing a deep dive and I ended up tying it into uh, some of my visual work. And that sort of progressed into a performance piece um, that is just a spoken word piece. It's about an hour long called The Punk Pan Indian Romantic Comedy. And it is about my relationship with music, um, how it was growing up, how important music was to my mother and father. My father was an old hippie. My mom was more on the pop end of things. So it's like Crosby, Stills, and Nash on one side and, you know, like David Bowie and Prince on the other side. And um, But then also how music was just this incredible thing that sort of saved my life in so many ways, as I think is the case for most people that listen to this kind of music. And... Um, and in that whole thing and just sort of having this this awakening moment and realizing how important this stuff is and listening to it with, you know, new sort of 40-something-year-old ears, um, I got a grant to expand it and to add original music to it that I would write because I do a lot of spoken word stuff. And so I was looking to cross that over into, um, into something that was more musically inclined. I connected with a couple of artists through uh, through this program and, and everything that I was doing. These guys ended up being rad and just like so good. And then we ended up just kind of putting something together as a result of that. This all happened in the middle of the pandemic. So this is 2020. We're trying to make music remotely, which was incredibly difficult. But we had some ideas. The big issue was me um, because I'm like stepping my foot into a realm that I'm not familiar with. And um, I'm familiar with it, you know, in theory, but actually like hitting things on beat and paying attention to, uh, you know, to the, the beats per minute and everything else. It just, it turns into this whole other thing. And it just kind of got in my head. Well, I got this residency in Florida in 2021 uh, coming out of the, out of the lockdown. Uh, things were still a little precarious, but, you know, people started moving around a bit more. And this residency was interesting because it, it was, um, 
three different groups. There was visual arts residency and uh, a poetry residency and a music residency. And each of the um, each of the residencies had a mentor and then had like six mentees under them. And so I was the visual artist mentor. And uh, and then there was a guy who was one of the mentees under the music whose name is Lee. And Lee's the lead guitarist for a band out of Atlanta called um, Algiers. And um, he was kind of having an interesting time because his mentor was working remotely, which was a, a bit disappointing for him. And he said, but, you know, I was really excited to meet you because he knew about my work and what I had been doing. And um, we got to talking and he was like, what are you working on? And I said, you know, I wrote this thing yesterday in about an hour. And then I explained to him what we were doing for this project. You know, I just wanted some along the lines of spoken word with punk riffs, you know, and just kind of having some fun with it and kind of flexing it out and seeing how it goes. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. So he grabbed another one of the musicians who could play drums. Um, he had a guitar. I happen to have a, um, a, a distortion pedal that sounds amazing from uh, Third Man uh, Records that is like the plasma pedal, uh, something along those lines. And um, we got into the studio because it was a whole campus. So there's like a recording studio there. And we got in there and we kind of worked out what we we're going to do, how we we're going to do it. We set up microphones and we played it two or three times, maybe. And then we pressed the record button and that's where Bad Indian came from. So there's a single on Spotify for Bad Indian, the first release of ours. That is what you hear on that. The very first recording of us performing Bad Indian. Oh, wow. Cool. And um, yeah, so I, I took that back to the guys I was working with. and I was like, yo, check this out. Like, this is crazy. And they were like, yeah, okay, like we, this is the vision. This is what we're going to do. And we, we worked it out from there. And um, yeah, it just was, felt like lightning in a bottle that we were able to put it together so quickly. And it made sense like immediately. The listening audience, if they haven't heard you, obviously there's some punk rock in there. You talk about the records yeah. and going back and starting a record collection. I'm sort of doing the same thing myself, right? Because I have like a million CDs, but I don't have a whole lot of records. So I'm going back and getting them. What were some of the first ones that you that you purchased or that you wanted to add to your collection? You know, the first record that that was sort of uh, shifty because I grew up in like an evangelical home um, was uh, Circle Jerks Group Sex, and like nice. that's a that's a that's a twofer, man. Like your parents find out that you're listening to a band called Sec uh, called Circle Jerks. And then their records called group sex. Like it, there's nothing good in, in that situation to your evangelical <laughs> right. parents. There's a, so I hid that. a lot of explaining I, to do on that one, right? Totally. Totally. Uh, so I hid that record from them. So it's about a, a used first pressing of group sex. And, uh, and it just was funny to me because like my oldest kid, who's uh, now 17 and, and then was um, probably three years younger, like 14. And, uh, yeah, they're like totally into it and was loving it and was just like, can I get one of those? And yeah, it was just really funny how it all kind of came together that like I'm buying this record. That's the first record I got that was like the first record that I tried to hide from my parents. And I just openly bought another one and gave it to my to my 14 year old kid at the time. When you go back and you listen to those old records or those old songs or some of the stuff that you listened to growing up, maybe it gives you a feeling. But uh, what do you think? How do you think those records held up? And they're pretty good. Um, I mean, 
with the exception of a couple of things, you know, like um, Dead Kennedys uh, have used racial slurs, ironically, in some of their songs. And like, obviously, like, you know, my little Gen Z kids are just like, whoa, like, that's a lot. But otherwise, man, I think it's good. Like, it's really good. And, and in fact, you know, Sage is kind of my litmus for this because they're just like such a punk rock kid and they love the dead Kennedys and they uh, have opinions about black flag that are both good and critical, you know, and, and um, we love listening to the clash. We love listening to old uh, straight edge hardcore, you know, from the the late eighties and early nineties. Yeah. Like they're into it. And that sort of is my litmus that like it holds up. But when I hear it, I mean, I feel a way about it. Right. Cause I mean, this, this brings back a lot of memories for me. Um, those Rollins band, that Rollins band's first record is crazy good. Yeah. Yeah. So good. You know, I love the spoken word over, you know, the aggressive sounds of the instruments and the music. Tell us about some of the players on this record and who helped you create, you know, the, the full album. Yeah. Um, well, so, uh, my original guitarist is uh, Josh Rivera. Um, he's in this band called I Am The Owl um, that gained quite a bit of notoriety here in Colorado. He is a craftsman, man. He just, he is uh, really technical and just is so light and soft. And when I watch him play, I'm like, how are you not, how are you not like pressing harder? You know, he just, he just has the magic touch. The drummer is uh, Shane and Shane is just, amazing and patient and overly positive about everything and he like i'll bring up something whack and he's just like yeah man let's see if we can do it you always (laughs) gotta have that one guy in the group that's just like yeah why not like let's see how it goes lee is a sound guy he if you listen to algiers there's a lot of soundscape stuff that that happens on that sort of post-punk industrial gospel sounding bands and um but the soundscape that's in there is just absolutely uh breathtaking and so i feel like he brings an aspect of that to this it's it's more subtle but i am so mindful of the way he hears things and gets me excited when he gets excited um and then our other guitarist is abe who uh actually came in uh to fill in for joshua we were recording um he's a local guy and uh everybody knows him he's a good guitar player um but i also i mean and i don't know how much you would like this he feels like a sledgehammer and a sledgehammer can still be precise but it also gets the job done and um he came in and was playing because josh uh, had a death in the family and couldn't make it to the recording so he ended up playing both sides and he and he pulled it off so well uh, and also just has become such a good friend and, and a good uh, a good litmus for all the things that we're doing. Uh, when we play live, Lee oftentimes can't play because he lives in Florida. Um, so we have another guy, Dave, that will fill in from time to time that uh, that's always a good faithful as well on the bass. Um, that's it, man. That That's all of us. And, and we're all just kind of rolling in it together. And I think to some degree, we're all surprised equally like that this is uh, it's being received as well as it is. You know, we mentioned you being an artist and an activist. You know, it's not only like a passion of yours, but you've pretty much made your life out of it, right? And uh, there's messages all throughout this record. You mentioned Bad Indian being one of them. Can we talk a little bit about that? Obviously, it explores ignorance and racism. So tell us a little yeah. bit about writing Bad Indian and, and if it did come from a personal experience. 
Yeah, no, um, it, it, it does. It, it is. I, I mean, first I got to say, I mean, I've been put into this activist realm, you know, in my career. Uh, I think it's weird. Uh, well, one man calls an activist, another might call an adult with an opinion, like right. the difference is like, who's got the microphone. And so, right. yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, these are really definitely things that have happened. The, in Bad Indian, there's a whole section where a woman, you know, asks me what my Indian name is. And the conversation we had um, is almost verbatim what's in the song. Um, at the end of the song, there's a statement where I say, like, that this guy comes into my space and he asks me about my things and he interrupts me. And uh, that also happened. Um, I had a residency at a at the Denver Art Museum and uh, the, I had in the studio space, a man came in and he did that. Um, he interrupted me and it was just interrupted me because he had a moment where he was like, well, this guy's really articulate or, you know, perhaps surprised that like I was smart enough to speak to the things I was speaking to in the way that I was doing it. And he interrupted me. And, um, I think it's interesting because I don't think he woke up that morning being like, you know, I'm part of the master race and this is how I'm going to go about my day. (laughs) But, but, but there is this, there is this sort of, thing that happens where like he's surprised at what he's looking at and then blurts it out loud without thinking about what he's saying or the consequences of that by saying well you speak real good for a native american it's like that that's literally where that came from Mm. um so yeah a lot of these things are lived experiences things that are in my home things that we think about things that are uh part of uh, living my life and, and, uh, yeah, just having experiences that they really aren't always in public purview. You know, there's things always happening sort of passive aggressively that, that people don't see. Can I tell you about a personal experience that I had a couple of years yeah. ago? Yeah. So me and my family rented an RV and, uh, you know, we're a Midwestern family. We have three acres and we don't, you know, stray too far from that, but we try to obviously keep in touch and in tune with uh, other things going on outside of, of our little neck of the woods. Right. So uh, we rented an RV and we drove our kids out and our first stop was going to be Mount Rushmore. And then we're going to work our way down through the black Hills and down actually down to Denver and the Rockies and all that. And, uh, and it was a special time for us. But uh, one of the things that I was ignorant to is, you know, we were driving up to Mount Rushmore and there's, there was a lot of picketing up there. Right. And then we go and see the crazy horse monument and picketers as well. So that's a conversation that led to a conversation with our kids. Now they were pretty young at the time, so we didn't get too in depth with it, but it did open up a conversation to have with them. Do you have any opinions on, on those kinds of things and, and specifically that area? Man, these are massive questions because, <laughs> yeah, no, I totally have an opinion. I mean, within my own work, there is significant uh, historical context to these things. So, you know, it's not just standing up there and saying, like, the injustice of it all. It's 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 knowing that uh, Native people were part of the civil rights movement in the late 60s and into the 70s that they, you know, took over. Alcatraz Island under, you know, some old treaty that said if land goes unused for a certain amount of time, that uh, it can be reclaimed by Native people. And they did that and they occupied Alcatraz Island for almost two years. Um, You know, there's uh, Wounded Knee uh, Memorial and everything that happened there in the 70s, you know, that's that's out near uh, Oglala, which, of course, is near the Black Hills. And... um, 
and just the relationship that these tribes have had on sort of an activist level all tribes have had on an activist level of some kind, but specifically the, uh, the Oglala um, have had this relationship with the federal government. Um, and then over the last several years between the, you know, the Dakota Access Pipeline and um, protests that were happening up at Mount Rushmore when Trump was rolling through a couple of years ago and a lot of different things that are happening to have these massive and important historical contexts to them. And the thing about being a native person, and, and I imagine also, you know, being a, uh, a black person in America, is that knowing your history and understanding the context of your history isn't just something that's important that you do, but it's actually a tool of survival. So having an opinion about those things has to be informed by understanding the history of those things. Uh, the Black Hills were part of a treaty. They were um, supposed to be able to retain the Black Hills because it's a, a sacred site to the Oglala people um, and to other people in the surrounding area. And that treaty was broken when General George Armstrong Custer came through and a bunch of other people found And then everyone ran amok and started mining out on, um, on the Black Hills. And that ultimately went to the disregard of that land being important to the uh, to the Oglala uh, Lakota nation. And um, and then eventually somebody proposed carving these uh, white so-called forefathers into into the hillside of a sacred site. And um, yeah, that's messed up. Like, I got opinions about that. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of that really like. Obviously, I'm not talking about this specifically in some of this work, but you definitely would find some uh, some of the tenets of those things, not just in Dead Pioneers, but also in my, you know, my visual work. How much do you credit sort of the 1950s TV shows and comic books? How much do you give credit to sort of became after that on the cultural feelings of Native Americans? Do you give any significance to that? The only significance I would give to it is uh, how much it has hijacked our own identity and our ability to define ourselves and have created the stereotypes that have led American people to not understand who we are as Native people. These things have been supplanted in the psyche of American culture, you know, essentially since first contact, since, you know, 1492, right? And these things have existed as sort of a means to an end to westward expansion and then ultimately uh, to consuming the romanticism that is America, the romantic nationalistic ideas of America, which is fed into entertainment and uh, creating bad guys in old cowboy movies and things of that nature. And the problem with that is that it has taken away the nuance of the amount of different tribes that exist in America and uh, how different each of those tribes are. There's, I think, 577 some different tribes that are federally recognized. There's like another couple hundred that are not federally recognized. And these these tribal nations are as diverse as the world we live in. Like my people, the, the Paiutes are from Nevada. Um, don't look like the Mohawks of upstate New York. They're, they're all different people and uh, different cultures, different languages, different everything. But 40% of Americans believe that Native American people don't exist anymore, that they are extinct. Why would they think that? That's a lot of people 
to think that Native people don't exist anymore. And it has to do with this process of creating a narrative that we only exist in the past, that we no longer exist anymore. And so doing something like Dead Pioneers ends up being important along with other bands that are doing similar things. Uh, 1876s is uh, another band that um, we're really good friends with that are that are doing punk stuff as well. Um, there's uh, another band that I'm forgetting right now, but I'll get it in a moment. But all of these things point to the need for people to understand that not everything is as it seems and that we are actually a living breathing people with a living breathing culture we are native people having an american experience and music like this is one of many avenues that can express that experience and buck those stereotypes that have negatively affected us for generations something a little bit more current i want to know if you feel that it helps with awareness the movie martin scorsese killers of the flower moon did you see it what was your opinions on it and do you think that helps bring awareness to some of those things i've seen it um yeah yes and no i you know there's a lot of really good films out there uh done by indigenous filmmakers uh telling indigenous stories this gets the sort of uh, quarter in American, you know, zeitgeist because Martin Scorsese is an incredible filmmaker. Yeah. He can get the budget that he needs to be able to do those things. But at the end of the day, he is ultimately a white man that's telling a, an indigenous story. And that raises questions about the nuance of the story. And I know he worked really hard with, um, with the, the people and with the story and with relatives of the descendants who uh, were currently being represented in that film. But, you know, uh, Kevin Costner did the same thing with Dances with Wolves, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's all sort of about intent, and I'm not a huge fan of intent. The film is well done. It's interesting. I think it had a whack ending for a number of reasons. But it does play an important point in a conversation piece, and, uh, you know, the the lead female actress in it is up for, um, you know, a number of different awards and hopefully is up for an Oscar. It's amazing to see. But I also have to wonder, like, if that's going to come through and uh, if she's part of that mainstream enough to, for, for something like that to matter. I think there's with it. I, you know, I have a lot of different different opinions. Savage Nobles is the other band I was thinking. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You knew it'd come back to you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what's in store for 2024 for Dead Pioneers. Are, is there a tour in the works? More music? What can we expect with 2024 and you guys? Man, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. Like We were, we were surprised. Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I was surprised. Uh, to that we got what we got that it got it has gotten to the level that it's gotten we're running a second pressing on the record right now because there's just been so much demand um it was really stressful you know we're doing everything independently and so i had to raise the money to record i had to raise the money to fly guys out i had to you know really sort of get the money that we needed to take care of everything and it's been super stressful to be able to do that and it's and it's coming off and like the second pressing I think we'll actually have a little bit of surplus cash that, you know, I can pay these guys uh, some money off of this. And like, that's great. And I'm really glad that we could do that. I want to make a second record, um, but I don't know how willing I am to do that without, without proper support. 
Um, but but there's things uh, coming up. There's conversations happening. Um, so we'll see what happens, you know, and, and just sort of play it out right. We got a show coming up on the 17th. We're playing with Cheap Perfume, uh, which is another up-and-coming uh, Riot Girl band that's been – um, oh, been uh, sort of on that third tier opening for festivals and they play with the Vandals or not the Vandals, uh, the Subhumans here recently um, here in Denver and uh, they got this great song called It's Okay to Punch Nazis I mean, what's not to like <laughs> but um, but like I don't know, We're I'm just sort of playing out and seeing what happens and uh, ready to make some decisions when you need to make some decisions we're currently working on a couple of songs, a couple of new songs, and, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it sounds like a true DIY kind of thing, spirit, right? Because even, I, you know, when we were trying to arrange the interview, I was like, you know, can you direct me to your publicist so we can arrange something? You're like, dude, it's just me. <laughs> so <laughs> so let's let's just set a, schedule it right now, which, you know, I, in, in a way, I definitely appreciate it. But, man, we're digging this record. We're really excited for your 2024 if you get out Midwest anywhere, we will uh, we will host you and promote it as much as we can. Dead Pioneers, it's out now. So you say that there's more pressing. So we have physical copies of this. Is it is it vinyl? Is it CDs? Is it cassettes? Yeah, yeah. All yeah. That, huh? um, I've got uh, we've got vinyl in a couple of record shops here in Denver. Um, I've already paid for the second pressing to come through, so we're pressing another 500 or so records, and we're doing pre-orders on Bandcamp right now for that. For anybody who wants to get in on that. Is that where you can find most of the information on your band camp? Yeah, I also have a website. It's uh, deadpioneers.band, and um, links to everything are also on that. Uh, Instagram is dead.pioneers. That's the only thing we're using on social media right now. I probably should set up on Facebook, but that's where we're at right now. We appreciate your time today, man. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. Not a very good Indian, maybe even a bad Indian. My cheekbones aren't high enough. I don't have enough beadwork or turquoise. I do my best to celebrate November like a month-long birthday for Indians. For those of you who don't know, which is probably most of you, it's a National Native American Heritage Month, and unfortunately celebrating feels like I'm celebrating my birthday by myself. No one seems to know that it's even happening, even with all the Facebook notices. I'm a bad Indian. genre is westerns my last name isn't a sentence I'm not thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online with BetterHelp you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. 
Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash the barn. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash the barn.